Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Did somebody say playoffs? The NBA, MLB, and NHL are in full swing, and our partners at Bet Online have you covered. So take full advantage of sports being back and get in on the action with hundreds of odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. And there is always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and sign up to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Welcome to the ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports on the Believe Podcast Network. We try to bring a conversation with an expert in the field of sports, usually basketball, and it could be a coach, a player a executive, a broadcaster. Today is a guy who can check a couple of those different boxes. Uh, he's been a tremendous and well-respected college coach for a number of years. Tried his hand at broadcasting, and I thought he had a promising career, but the lull of being on a team brought him back to the ranks of coaching at the college level. He's become a good friend of mine, Coach Ray Giacoletti, currently at St. Louis as an assistant coach. Ray, how is life in St. Louis? All is good, Dan. Great, always as always, to catch up with you. Uh, St. Louis is uh, really hot this time of year and humid, so I just got off my bike. I try to uh, take a bike ride every day. We're not very far from Forest Park, which is one of the largest parks in the United States, and um, you can get a good sweat with the humidity here in St. Louis. Yeah, I've been back to the Midwest a number of times in that area because I've got uh, my wife's family who's from there, and that, that humidity is no joke uh, in the summertime. So good to hear that all is well and you're healthy and you're, you're staying active in the heat. Obviously, with your background as a college basketball coach, and you've had a, a number of stops, which is par for the course if you get into coaching, when you were growing up, did you know that coaching was – your path and that is what you wanted to do you know I I knew basketball uh, when I was in eighth grade we had the choice I was in parochial school Catholic school for the last couple of years and so I had a choice I was either going to go to the Catholic school in Peoria or back to public school and the basketball coach uh, they just taken the job at East Peoria was a guy named Bob Swigger played at Bradley University and his big thing, and this was in 19, gosh, I'm dating myself now, 77 would have been my freshman year in high school. And he was all about uh, 365. Uh, he had just taken the job there and handing Red Raider gear out, but it had the number 365 on it, which meant he wanted you to play basketball 365 days a year. And that's really where I first understood how hard you had to work. If it, first of all, to be a player in high school and then was lucky enough to play small college basketball after that. But that's really where the passion for basketball started was from Coach Swigris. And uh, when I was probably my junior and senior year in college, I worked camps each summer for two summers in a row all over the country. And that's where I, I 
you know, figured out that I wanted to coach. I wanted to stay in the game and I wanted to help people in some way. And the best way of doing it in those years was to try to go meet people. And I worked camps all over the country, uh, eight or nine camps a year from Michigan to Kansas to LSU and just trying to build uh, relationships with people and to learn the game because by no means um, did I understand it. Not, not that I do today, but um, that's what you had to do in those early 80s to try to then go get a graduate assistantship. Learn the game and understand the game is, means a lot of different things to different people. Um, you're a coach that um, I've gotten to know you from watching your practices. I've gotten to know you from uh, when I was at Gonzaga, you were at Eastern playing against your teams. And then obviously, you know, just as friends in the world of basketball, talk about different teams. When you talk about learning the game, understanding the game, what does that mean to you when you're putting a team together? Well, you know, you want smart guys. Uh, you want guys that understand it's your individual skills are really important, but they have to mesh with four other guys out on the floor. And then there's two sides of the floor, the offensive side, and the defensive side, a lot of, you know, guys are one way guys, but um, I think all that just general knowledge on what winning is all about and, and what it takes to win and what people have to do to sacrifice. I think it's a little bit lost. Um, uh, today, to be quite honest with you. Um, people, you know, bigs want to go out and just shoot threes today. And that's great. There's a time and place, but it's just not 100%. Um, it's more so what's going to be right for me than what's going to be right for the team to be successful. And, and um, to me, that's what was so unique. Uh, you, you know, you and I have a little bit deeper history where I was on the staff at Washington and recruited you. So I saw you play many a times and almost to the point where, you know, I was kind of felt like I was your second father sitting up there. I remember being at key arena and the state championship uh, week and, um, and, and I was sitting with Fuey and those guys and I was pulling so hard for you because you just, you get so connected with people and you want people to do so well. And I, and I believed in you, um, you know, a few of you was like, relax, man, he's already signed. And, <laughs> and uh, you signed at Washington, which, which people I'm sure remember, but um, you know, it, you had one of those feels that not only made others better, um, but could go score the basketball um, and then got to be a, a better defensive player in time. But you you really understood how to score it, how to make others better, and, and became a, a, a very good defensive player. You, know, you, you got to be to get all the way to the NBA. Yeah, I would never confuse myself for a great defensive player. But, but I was serviceable because I understood team concepts. But, you know, it's, it's so awesome that we've become close friends over the years after I was, what, 16 years old the first time we met and you were recruiting me while you were at Washington. I believe it was yourself and Richie McKay were the first two college coaches that ever believed in me and kind of told my AAU coach at the time and also my high school coach Eric York that hey I, I think he's got a chance he could he could be a division one player and he could be really good he might even be able to play at, at our level in the Pac-10. When you 
are recruiting a player as an assistant coach and you're not the head coach and you've been in both roles, when you're recruiting a player as an assistant coach, how do you put your glasses on as if you're the head coach and try to sell the head coach on this is the guy that we need to recruit and really go after? Well, when you're the assistant, you are recruiting for the head coach you're working for. Um, And most times you're going to see eye to eye, but there's times where that head coach wants something a little bit different than maybe what you or I would want as an assistant. Um, So you got to figure out exactly um, what that is and where the happy median is. For you, it was was pretty easy. I mean, you were a one, uh, I'll never forget, and this is a, off the subject a little bit. When we went in your house the first time, you had a notebook, and, and it showed you, I think, um, in high school, in college, and you had a Chicago Bulls jersey in the last picture. And you could walk into 100 homes that that would be that way, and 99 of them didn't understand what it took to get to the last spot. But you had a plan, you had a work ethic, and those were things that impressed me more than anything. Um, you were gonna get to where you're going, and because you had the plan, you had the work ethic, the desire. A lot of guys talk about, yeah, yeah I wanna play in the NBA, and you're like, okay, you have no idea what that even entails. First thing we need to be talking about is, need to be have a great college career before that ever comes but I'll never forget it I I don't know if you still have that notebook Um, and I can't even remember what was in it I just remember the cover of it had three pictures of you Um, like I said that high school picture I even think they had you in a UW jersey Um, you probably had it for every you know different school that was in there with you and then it was the Bulls if I'm not mistaken the jersey you had on uh, or Portland I I but I just, it stood out to me that that was great. That was a great dream, but you were different because you had the plan and you had the work ethic. Well, I've always believed that you can't really skip steps. And unfortunately, that is something when I look at high school kids now or just the AAU culture in general, um, people want to skip steps and they don't understand how hard it is to go from A to B and then B to C and C to D, as opposed to everybody just wants to go to A to D and they don't understand those steps. But you as a coach had to go through similar steps in preparing yourself for your opportunity to be a head coach. You were at Illinois State with Bob Bender. Then you were at UW with Bob Bender. And then you got your chance uh, to go to North Dakota State as a head coach for the first time. I believe they were Division Two at the time. It was frustrating for me personally because that was right before I was about to step foot on campus at UW as a freshman. But I get it. I understand it was your first shot. At what point do you feel a, an assistant coach is truly comfortable in moving over those 18 inches? I don't think you're ever truly ready, to be quite honest with you. Um, the... You, to have the opportunity first, um, it's really hard to get one of those jobs. Even though North Dakota State was Division Two at the time, they were operating with a Division One budget, and we had a coaches show. We were on TV. It was but it was mid-major college basketball. Thank God it was someplace Dan off the beaten path where I could make some mistakes, and it wasn't going to be front page or or you know, on national television, I don't think you're ever ready. You you try to put a plan together. Um, 
got lucky. We, we were successful there, but um, there was many learning curves. And, and, and I think you're constantly learning. You're constantly trying to get better. You're constantly trying to find a way to improve. And you got to look within yourself each off season and try to figure out, is it, do I need to have a better relationship with our players? What more can I do for our players to prepare them for life? Is our offense, uh, do I need to change, tweak, depending on personnel? Uh, so I, I don't know if you're ever truly ready. The opportunity came, and it was one of those situations where you didn't know when the next one was going to come. And I had played college basketball in North Dakota, so I was familiar with with the area and, and uh, that was kind of the reason why I did it. And if you remember, UW was just getting ready to explode and be really good. I remember sitting in a restaurant in Minneapolis at the state tournament that year and leaving the state tournament to go watch uh, UW play in the Sweet 16 against UConn and kind of wondering like, wow, maybe I should have stayed. I just, you know, I helped, had a hand in recruiting those guys. And, and, um, but you can never look back. I, I, you know, you learn on the fly, I guess the best way of putting it. Yeah. That UConn UW game was, uh, probably my most disappointing game as a Husky, uh, Donald Watts didn't block out. Deion Luton didn't block out. Todd McCulloch, Patrick Femmerling, nobody blocked out. And uh, Rip Hamilton got the putback to drop. And uh, they, I think they ended up going on to win uh, the title either that year or the following year. It was, a, it was a heartbreaking loss for UW fans for sure. When you had success and you turned around North Dakota State to be a really good program, you had a chance to go back to the Northwest and you went to Eastern. And for anybody who's been around the Pacific Northwest back in those days knows that Eastern's a very difficult job. It's become better over the years. But you built that program in a matter of no time uh, back and got them to the NCAA tournament quickly. How much pride do you have in, in getting the Eagles to NCAA tournament? Well, great pride. you got to go one step. I took over for Steve Eggers, and he had done a really good job. And he doesn't get enough credit because we walked in and it was not broken. Even though it had not had great success, it, he had the pieces and he had a young man he had signed early named Elvin Snow. And my job was then to convince Elvin to, to stay with his commitment he'd already signed and that, you know, we had big aspirations and hopes. But to be honest with you, over this is coming up on year 34, Dan, Eastern is one of my soft spots in my heart. Um, we had so many good times there. We have so many friends in the Pacific Northwest. Um, Eastern and never went to postseason, went to the NIT the third year, won a conference championship the fourth year, and went to the NCAA. Uh, it's one of those I feel very lucky to be a part of. It was lightning struck in a bottle. That would never happen today, Dan, because those kids went from freshmen to some of them redshirting up to mature men that third and fourth year. And it, it would never happen at that level today. Um, Washington, Washington State would have taken a hell of a heartbeat. Uh, Mark Axton, another player who really had a, a plan and a work ethic, 
became a great three-point shooter, stretch four. Uh, Brendan Merritt was another tough, hard-nosed guy. He, you know, for sure, Snow and and uh, and Axton would have had other opportunities. Merritt was a junior college player, so, um, you know, he could have probably left after his junior year, but he ended up having back surgery. But those kind of things aren't going to happen again, unfortunately, in college basketball because of this basically pilfering guys off the lower levels um, and being able to transfer and play immediately, which I'm 100% against. I, I love the stance because I'm 100% against it too, unless there is a, a grave circumstance with a family sickness or illness that allows someone to get back within, you know, their general area of family. Um, but I think the grad transfer uh, rule has had a huge impact too as well as the ability for coaches to run practices in the summer so now guys get ahead academically and they realize well if I push it I graduate early I can play somewhere else my final year and so you've seen it at the smaller level at the eastern you went to University of Utah so that's now a Pac-12 really good program and then you went back uh, you, you got back into the head coaching ranks at a Drake in the Missouri Valley Conference. And now you're at uh, school St. Louis in the A-10. So you've kind of seen it at all different levels. How difficult is it to manage this grad transfer and this transfer uh, situation with all these schools? I think it's almost impossible today. So you have to have a plan, in my opinion, and it changes yearly. If you're a low major school, what your plan is going to be. And what I mean by low major is like a big sky team. If you're mid-major like the Valley, Missouri Valley Conference, you better get a plan on what's going to be successful at that level. I'll give you an example. Our two best players in my first two years at Drake got pilfered off campus. One went to Minnesota and started for three years. The other one was a seven-foot Polish kid, uh, Dominic Olinichek who went to Florida State. Um, so you may have to take a different route to be successful. If I was back at Eastern Washington, I would be looking at junior college more than anything because really tough to go there for a year and then to leave right away. Um, you know, we took a different approach, taking high school players, redshirting them. We took Rodney Stuckey and, and signed him and sat him as a prop. Uh, I, you could still do that today, but you're not going to get paid off in the end because if they're good enough, they're, it's just it's not even um, disloyal. It's just part of the process today where they're going to leave. Um, all we're doing to young people today is teaching them how to quit. And when it gets a little bit tough to pack my bags and run, or if I have some kind of success, I'm going someplace else. There are, in my opinion, three or four more times t bad stories than there are good stories. Sure, there's NCAA tournament, you turn it on, there's going to be somebody out there that played at a low level that had an impact on some team. But I can count four or five more options where guys had just awful experiences. The rule was made for if you wanted to get a graduate degree and the school you were at didn't have it, you then could go someplace else and play right away. Those guys, one, aren't getting grad degrees, and two, they're just making up whatever that place you want to go to has that the place you were at don't have. 
So we've just trained and, and people can fight me on it. At this point at 58, Dan, I don't care anymore. I'm going to speak what I believe. We've taught guys to quit and we taught guys to soon as it gets a little bit tough or have a little bit of success again, um, quit and, and run to someplace else. Elvin and Snow and I had this talk when he got inducted to the Hall of Fame at Eastern a couple years ago. Um, so it paid off for Elvin. Elvin took the school. Elvin will be revered there. He, he will always, till the day he dies, have a place to go back to. He took him to the NIT, took him to a conference championship, took him to the NCAA tournament. He was Eastern's first uh, legitimate All-American. He's in the Hall of Fame. It worked out for him. And not saying it wouldn't have worked out someplace else, but, you know. Yeah. No, I agree with you. And, and the passion uh, in your voice in talking about it shows that, that you've, you've looked at it from all different angles. I did transfer from UW to Gonzaga, but that was in a time where I think you literally, there was, if somebody decided to transfer schools, it was big news. It's like, oh, what the heck's happening? Uh, does the kid not think he can cut it? Is there, you know, is a coach running him off? Where now it's like you'll have four, five, six guys from a team transfer out. And so it's completely changed. But I transferred to Gonzaga. I had a chance to have a wonderful career um, at Gonzaga. Things out worked out wonderfully for me. I played for Coach Mark Few, obviously. Um, you're somebody who knew Coach Few as an assistant coach coming up. You coached against him as, as head coaches. And then you had a chance to work for him for a couple of years when you came back to Spokane as an assistant at, at Gonzaga. What makes Coach Few such a special coach as well as what makes Gonzaga Gonzaga? Yeah, great question. You know, last piece with Fuey, you know, we're great friends. And so um, when I got fired at Utah and had a chance to come back to Gonzaga, I really tried to focus on trying to change and find more balance. And Mark was always somebody from the first time I met him as an assistant in 93 at Washington when he was at GU his calmness, his balance, um, his mindset about family being first, his faith. And he hasn't changed since the time I've known him. And I really tried uh, the six years I was at Gonzaga for hopefully some of that would rub off on me as far as the balance. Um, I think it did for a little bit, but you know, it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. But Mark believes in offense, first of all. And that's, again, I don't want to speak out of turn, but as I saw it from Eastern Washington and now and then being a part of it for six years at Gonzaga, um, that program got going because guys like you and Adam Morris and Richie Fromm you guys could score the ball. It was fun to watch. Uh, you could make – that that was an opportunity, huge upsets on neutral floors or in NCAA tournaments. And I, I think through the course of time then to take that last step, there probably needed to be as equal emphasis defensively, which there has been to get to final fours and those kinds of things. But it was 
you know, and Mark will tell you his passion is at the offensive end. And he's a great offensive coach, not saying he can't coach defense, not saying that at all, but offensively he's got extremely innovative mind and can look at his guys. How much freedom? Let me ask you, how much freedom do you have at GU? Uh, plenty, <laughs> but you have to earn it though. You have to earn uh, it in practice. In my redshirt year, I had to earn it uh, every day. And I agree, but when you earned it and then he gave you that green light and freedom, how much that your confidence just continued to. 100%. And so that's something I think Mark does an amazing job at where a lot of coaches, those guys are, have too many restrictions or are harnessed. Um, uh, again, I go back on my own feelings because I watched you grow over all those years and a smile would come to my face. You know, your senior, junior and senior year at Gonzaga, just the success you were having and thinking back four or five years before that and thinking like, I think he can do those kinds of things. And it, it's funny, again, hard work, a plan, a system and a program that allowed you to do those things. But, um, you know, I, I think Mark system and mindset and belief in you gave Dan Dickow's best than his, during his time at GU. Yeah, I would agree. When, when a player knows that a coach, one, believes in them, and two, is going to give them enough rope where they can go out and try to make a play. If it doesn't work out, they know they're not going go to go immediately to the bench, but as long as they try to correct it, whether it's on the next possession defensively, being in the right spot, or on the offensive end, the next possession, making the correct play that time, that empowers players so many times to, to trust in the coach and to believe in the message continually – and then things will work out uh, in the end. Now, before you went back to GU, though, um, you were at Utah. And you, you had some successes as a coach there. I know there was some frustrations that we don't have to get into. But you had a chance to coach the number one pick in the NBA draft, Andrew Bogut. That has to be a sense of pride um, for you because you look back, there's only one guy. There was – 30 first round draft picks, but there's only one number one pick. And that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. I, I have no issues that went, went on it at Utah. As I look back on it, um, I had a chance to coach a team at first year uh, that won 29 games, won a conference championship, went to the sweet 16 and once in a lifetime opportunity to coach Andrew Bogut. And he's like, awesome. Like old school throwback mindset work ethic toughness and so whatever happened after that it didn't matter because I got a chance to do something that uh, I never would have thought possible once when I got into coaching uh, originally so um, you know it's one of those dream years and things came together and and um, you know he was a guy that uh, it took a little time but bought in to what our vision was for him. I don't know if you remember, but we took him out of the post and played him at the high post in that kind of hybrid Princeton offense. And when I was first explaining it to him, he looked at me like, you know, I just came off of Mars. And he's like, 
what he won, he was, as you well know, playing against him, one of the best passing bigs of all time. I mean, that dude could pass the basketball. Um, but we started him there to get him to the block or started him there to play through him. And because of his passing abilities, um, he bought into it. It worked out. There, there's a great example. I, I'll tell you another little story and just, again, how things change. So he led the – at the time I was at Utah, they were in the Mountain West. He led his freshman year the conference in block shots. As our – we would talk – uh, we had lunch in, in my office twice a week and just to try to get to know each other and talk about not just basketball, but kind of life. And um, I said, you know, I, I'd like you to kind of learn how to take a charge. And again, he looked at me like, take a charge? I'm seven foot. I led the conference in block shots. I said, one, we got to have you on the floor probably 38 minutes a night this coming year. And two, in watching film of last year, there are plenty of opportunities where guys left their feet and you didn't need to take a charge or didn't need to try to block the shot. You got foul trouble. You could take a charge. That year, Danny led our team in charges taken. So whenever somebody, the rest of my career would talk about not doing the little things, taking a charge, diving on the floor for a loose ball, I would bring up, it's like, well, if it was good enough for the number one player taken in the draft that year, it's probably good enough for all of us. It's a great teaching lesson uh, for any young players out there that might be listening or, or high school coaches that, you know, are trying to be able to emphasize a point to one of their players. You're a coach through and through, but then after your time at Drake, uh, you decided to get into the broadcasting world and, and you and I had talked about it at length multiple times because that's uh, one of the things that I do and that's how I stay connected and close to the game that I love. And I thought you had a nice future going with it. You, you were as prepared as anyone I've seen uh, and you could tell that you really cared about it. But the lull or, and the allure of coaching brought you back and you're currently now with St. Louis University uh, explain what your role is because it's changed a little bit over the time now that you've been there, how it, how it is working with Coach Travis Ford, as well as what your ceiling is for this next coming year. Well, first of all, well, that what got us to St. Louis was my wife's mother is here. And so after we were done, um, I moved my wife, Kim, 10 different times in 30 years. And she said, can we go to St. Louis and help take care of my mother? So that's how we got here. And it, I, I, I wanted to kind of try to do something else. And so, as you said, I, I tried like heck for two years. I did 52 games one year, every low level game I could from your advice, trying to get better. Um, but, and was perfectly fine. Coaching was out. I had had probably four or five opportunities, but I, we weren't going to move again. Um, we, we bought a place. I'll tell you what's great about St. Louis. Next time you come to St. Louis, I don't think I haven't brought you to the Hill. Have I? No, not yet. Nope. All right. So we live in the last little Italy in America called the Hill. It's the last authentic. They just did a movie on this place. It's, uh, there is no little Italy in, in uh, New York city anymore. It's a block long Boston had kind of the next one, but but St. Louis is, it's a mile by a mile. It's 33 mom and pop uh, restaurants, bars, Volpe, salami, and prosciutto is made here. 
it's unbelievable. So that, that's, I know I just got sidetracked, but <laughs> I got to go. <laughs> I, I was very happy living on the hill. Kim's taking care of her mother and trying to expand my role uh, in broadcasting. And uh, we were in Italy for 30 days last August. And then about halfway through it, Coach Ford called and said, hey, I got something you might want to be interested in. And, um, and when I came back, I took the job. And the job was a special assistant to him, which didn't allow me to go on the floor. And, but I wanted to get back involved. And when I met with him, I'd known Travis for over a number of years, just like we all do uh, through recruiting or basketball and really respected him. Billy Greer had worked for him at Oklahoma State, had great things to say about him. Um, but so I, he talked me into going back and literally a couple of weeks into practice, one of the full-time assistants fell down some steps and tore his quad off his bone and I was elevated. And so I was on the floor and coach Ford and I had a great relationship bond. I felt it was probably the first time Dan where I didn't have a dog in the fight. I was just trying to bring some kind of value to somebody, a coach, a player, the team. And I was at 100% just at peace of just how can I help where you know, as a head coach, it's your deal every day. You better be on. As an assistant, you're fighting for what you believe in or if this guy you think can help us more than that guy. Here, it was pure love of the game and had more fun this year than, than I've had in a long time. And, um, and so I don't know how long I'll do it, but um, we have a really good team. I hope, knock on wood, I hope we play this year. We have a top 30 team in the country. Uh, led by three big-time seniors who, as you well know today in college basketball, hard to have your three best players be three seniors. And so, in fact, we're if we're lucky enough, uh, we'll see Gonzaga and Boise State in Orlando uh, at, at the Orlando Tournament, 18 tournament uh, in November. I, I don't know if that'll come to fruition or not, but it's on the schedule. But uh, it's just been – it's been really rejuvenating to me to be back on the floor and to be just a, a piece to the puzzle and trying to bring some kind of value and, and great guys, great staff and fun. That's a word that's not used very often anymore. The three letter F word is fun. You need to have some fun in this game. Yeah. That's a word that's definitely not used a lot in college basketball. When you talk to coaches, there's always such a high stress level and what's next on my to-do list to do. Uh, I hate the fact that, you know, with this pandemic, everybody's been quarantined and we haven't been able to get on with our normal lives, but at the same time, it's been great because we have been able to slow down. Uh, I've been able to grow this podcast with SB live. Um, and for you, I can see and sense and hear in your voice, a, a renewed passion for the game. Not that you lost it, but in a different way, because when you were doing the broadcasting, the way you were looking at the game was different than it is now from when we talk. So, um, Coach, I really appreciate the time. Um, always great to connect. And hopefully there is a college basketball season, and hopefully you do have a chance to beat up on Leon Rice and Boise State. Maybe not Gonzaga so much because I'm still going to be partial there, but I appreciate your time. 
Dan, you're one of my favorites. Thanks so much for including me. And, uh, you know, the, the first night, if it comes off in Orlando, we're slated against Xavier, and we're on the same side of the bracket as GU. So if we could somehow get fortunate enough and lucky enough uh, to, to get one that first night, you know, you, you get a chance to play maybe the number one team in the country at that time. But thanks as always. And, and it's been awesome to follow your career and now being a father, husband, and and you're new. Uh, you're, you're always innovative, just like you were as a player, SB Live. Uh, whatever you focus in on, put a plan, your, your, your hard work and dedication has always paid off. So thank you. Absolutely. Thanks again, Coach. Be safe. Get another bike ride in in the morning. And uh, hopefully it's not a long time before we talk again. Take care. See you, Dan. Thank you. ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.